This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Time now for one of the most recognizable sound effects of old-time radio. The show was Inner Sanctum, and the sound effect was the program's familiar and famed audio trademark, the eerie creaking door, which opened and closed the broadcasts. Hyman Brown got the idea from a door in the basement that he says squeaked like hell. The door sound was actually made by a rusty desk chair, the program did originally intend to use the door, but on its first use, the door didn't creak. Undaunted, Brown grabbed a nearby chair, sat in it, and turned, causing a hair-raising squeak. The chair was used from then on as the sound prop. On at least one memorable occasion, a staffer innocently repaired an oil chair, thus forcing the sound man to mimic the squeak orally. It's campy comedy, notwithstanding the stories were usually effective with little chillers mixing horror and humor in equal doses. Boris Karloff was heard regularly in the first season, starring in more than 15 episodes. And established stars in the early years included Bella Lugosi, Mary Astor, Helen Hayes, Peter Lorre, and Orson Welles, to name a few. Most of the leads and the supporting players were stalwarts of New York Radio. These included Mercedes McCambridge and Santos Ortega, whom you'll hear tonight in the show starring alongside Espeth Eric. The episode was first aired May 27th of 1945 and entitled Dead to Rights. Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Good evening, friends. This is your host of the Inner Sanctum, welcoming you again through the squeaking door for an hallucinating good time. Why am I smiling? But I always smile when I open the squeaking door on Tuesday nights. You see, each week when I say, good evening, I think to myself, a good evening for what? And of course, there's only one answer to that question. A good evening for murder. <laughs> A fine thing to say. You wouldn't feel so chipper about it if you were going to be murdered. Why, Mary, there's no bigger thrill than to be murdered. Why, it happens only once in a lifetime. <laughs> well, I know something else like that. Now, don't tell me that Lipton tea... No, I'm not thinking about Lipton tea. I'm talking about that solid sterling silver medallion that the Lipton Tea people are offering to the ladies. Yes, ladies, it's the chance of a lifetime to get a lovely piece of jewelry. 
The kind you find at those smart shops on Fifth Avenue in New York. Now, let me tell you about the medallion. It's made of real sterling silver. It's about an inch in diameter, and it's decorated with a Chinese inscription. The medallion is hung on a narrow black rayon satin ribbon, so it can be worn as a necklace, a choker, or you can simply add it to your charm bracelet. And here's how you get the medallion. Just send 25 cents and the box top from a package of Lipton's, the tea with the brisk flavor, to the Lipton Tea People, Box 92, New York City. Yes, that's Box 92 in New York City. And now... It's time to begin. Our story is called Dead to Rights. It's an original spine tingler by Sigmund Miller. And our stars tonight are two radio favorites, Elspeth Eric and Santos Ortega. So relapse in your chair. Settle down for a half hour of alarming but charming entertainment. Why not get really reckless tonight? Go the whole works. Turn off the main switch in the cellar. The darker it is, the more strange things you'll see. Lou Dunn is nervously pacing his room in a dingy boarding house near the East River in Manhattan. His wife, Dottie, is looking at an old newspaper. That's him, Dottie. You can see for yourself. This is Jensen, that queer old guy. Lives upstairs with $20,000. Mm-hmm. That's him, all right. That money. Only a floor above us. According to this paper, William Jensen was found wandering through the streets in a semi-conscious condition through lack of food. The police discovered $20,000 in $100 bills mixed with crusts of bread in his pockets. He's being sent to Bellevue Hospital for observation. The newspaper's more than a month old. Mm. Jensen's been back for two weeks. Hey, Dottie. Hmm? Must be somewhere we can get that money. There is. You mean Robin? Robin? Maybe kill him. Kill him? If you're not scared. Scared? I ain't scared of anything. I know you. You always talk tough, and that's about all. I'm not scared. We could knock him off. Make it look like suicide. You really want to do it? Yeah, sure. I have to put my hands in that 20 grand. Boy, what we couldn't do with that money. It'll be easy. If we do it smart. Very smart. Sure, sure. Maybe... Maybe you could sort of visit him. Just before he goes to bed. Turn on the gas. That would make it look like suicide. Then we could go back and pick up the money. Not not all of it. We'll leave half of it so it won't look like robbery. Sure. He's a crazy guy. It's natural for a crazy guy to knock himself off. Mm-hmm. When are we doing? Well, we're going to do it. We've got to do it right now. And we'll have the guts to do it later. Now, you're sure you want to do it, Lou? Sure. Sure I do, Daddy. Mrs. Scully was going to the movies. What time is it now? It's, uh, five to ten. She won't be back till after eleven. 
It only gives us about an hour. Oh, you got plenty of time. Jensen goes to bed just about this time. You go on up, stay with him until he's in bed. Then, on your way out, you turn on the gas. Not too much, because that'll make a lot of noise. And keep your finger off the spigot. Use a stick or a glove or something. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Okay, what are you waiting for? You want me to go now? Well, what do you want to do? Die a heart failure worrying about it? Go ahead! It's me, uh, Lou Dunn, the guy that lives right under you. Oh, just a minute. I was just about to get to my bed. Yeah, anything special you want? No, I just had a little argument with the wife. Oh. Kind of, I don't want to go back right now. Mm-hmm. You're going to teach her a lesson. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, all right. Come in. You can talk to me while I get into bed. Thanks a lot, Mister Jensen. I, I won't. I won't stay alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you, you going to bed right now? Yeah. Yeah. Would you mind helping me take off my shoes? Sure. I'm getting too old to bend down. Sure. Sure thing. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. That's no place to hide your money behind the pillow. That ain't no money. It's just a lot of pictures. It's all just pictures. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Ain't gonna be good company. Feel kind of sleepy. Well, maybe I'd better get back. Nice of you to come and see me, though. It's freezing outside. I'd better close the windows or you'll catch cold. Well, good night, Mr. Jensen. Good night. Speaking like a trip, I'm. If I get downstairs without being seen, everything will be all right. Hey, someone's coming up the steps. It's Mrs. Scully, the landlady. It's dark. Maybe she won't recognize me. I pull my hat over my face. Mr. Dunn? I beg your pardon? Well, I'm sorry. I thought you were Mr. Dunn. It's all right. Good night. Good night. Who is it? It's me, Lou. Everything all right? Close the door. What's the matter with you? Anything go wrong? We're going to be caught. Calm down. Tell me what happened. I did everything you said. Everything went fine until I got outside. I met Mrs. Scully in the hall. I pulled my hat over my face. She recognized you? She called my name. And I disguised my voice. Nothing to worry about. I'm sure she knew it was me. We're going to get caught. Did you come right down here? No. I went outside for a few minutes in case she was watching me. That's good. Now you got to go back and get that money. He, 
He's dead by now. I, I can't go back. You've got to go now before the gas leaks into the hall and everybody knows about it. I, I can't. I can't do it. All right, I'll go myself. Where'd you say the money was? Pillow under his head. Stay here till I get back. Maybe. Maybe we ought to forget. No. Not after we've gone this far. Who's there? It's me, Mrs. Scully. Let me in. What do you want? Well, the people downstairs have been complaining. There's water leaking down the ceiling. Water? Yes. I'd like to take a look at the sink. Well, sure, sure. Hmm. Funny. Pipes aren't leaking. Just, just a mistake, huh? Oh, they must be cranks. Floor's dry. Is that all, Mrs. Scully? No. You're a couple of days over on your rent. We'll have it for you tomorrow. Well, you better. I have to pay my bills, you know. Sure. I, I, I promise you. Well, all right. Say... Didn't I pass you upstairs on the fourth floor a little while ago? Me? Oh, you must have me mixed up with someone else. It looked like you. Had you billed? I haven't been out of this room for a couple of hours. Hey, Lou, I can't... Uh, Dolly, Miss Scully. Oh. Hello, Mrs. Scully. Hello, Mrs. Dunn. I was just telling your husband about the rent that's... Do you smell gas? Yeah. Must be a gas jet open someplace. Well, you'd better take a look at your stove. Don't want any accidents in this house. No, neither do we. It seems to be coming from the hall. I'd better take a look at that empty room. You should have knocked before you came in. You almost gave the whole thing away. Yeah, I know. Had the money right in my hand. I only took half the dough, about $9,000, I figure. Cops question Mrs. Scully. We'll be done for. Yeah, she smelled the gas on me. They almost died in that room. We gotta get away from here. Yeah, maybe you're right. I'm getting kind of scared myself. Things ain't working out so perfect. Let's get packed. Okay. We better hurry. No, no, wait a minute. We ain't gonna pack. We're not gonna stay here. Listen, if we walk out with our suitcases, we'll be giving ourselves away. Jensen. We just They found out about Jensen. We gotta stay calm or we're dead pigeons. What should we do? We gotta get out of this house first. We can't go out the front door, not now. Maybe with all this excitement going on, we can sneak out without them noting. I tell you, I'm scared, Dottie. Oh, my. Come on. It's now or never. There's nobody at the front door. Well, let's break. What's going on? The cops, they just came in. Quick, get back in the room before they see us. We'll never escape. I'll escape. There, there must be some other way. <laughs> Dottie and Lou are in bad shape. My only hope is that they don't die of heart failure before the end of the program. That would be very embarrassing. Sometimes I wish the characters in our stories would show a little more nerve. They all get so flustered. It's not that they aren't first-quality villains, but they're too indecisive. Well, what do you think is going to happen to them? Oh, they'll probably turn on the gas again. Oh, please. And brew themselves a pot of Lipton tea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you fooled me that time. And now I'm going to fool you. I'm not going to talk about Lipton tea. Instead, I'm going to tell you a story. 
Yes, it seems there's a true story behind that sterling silver medallion that the Lipton people are offering to the ladies. It's really a good luck charm. The original was given to an American flyer by Chinese guerrillas who rescued him after he'd bailed out over enemy territory. The flyer was told that the Chinese letters on the medallion would identify him and bring him safely through the lines. Well, he did get through, and only then did he learn that the medallion said, Good luck in Chinese. Now, ladies, there's something to tell your friends. And to get this good luck charm, this lovely sterling silver medallion, just like the one the flyer carried, all you have to do is send 25 cents and the box top from a package of Lipton's, the tea with the brisk flavor, to the Lipton tea people, box 92. That's box 92, New York City. Well, now let's go back to our pale and panicky pair of murderers. If you remember, they ran back into their room when the police came in. And since then, they've been trying to figure a way out. Maybe they've got a plan. So let's take a look, shall we? We've got to think of something. How about that back stairway? I don't know where it goes. Well, it's better than staying here. Cops will see us. We've got to take that chance. They're probably still upstairs. Come on. Let's hurry. Walk slow, you. I got to open the door to get to the back stairway. Hello, Ben. Slow. Well, the door's locked. Easy, you fool. Maybe it's just rust. It's jammed. Let's both of us try to open it. So use the cops. I'll be down in a minute. Come on, come on. Let's push it. The wall give. It's opening. Just a little bit more. We can just step through. You all right? Uh-huh. Like it's cold in here. Stairway goes down to the cellar, I guess. Come on. Exit that leads out into the alley. Listen, that's the, that's the cops coming down to look for us. They come in the hallway stairs. We've got to hide. Here, get behind this old sofa. Lie down, lie down on the floor. There's nothing you'll find down here. I hope you don't mind, lady, but we'd like to look over the premises. Oh, look, this dust is killing me. I'm going to sneeze. No, I can't. You won't do it's just a waste of time looking for anything here. All right. Let's get out. Too much dust here. Daddy. 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 I killed him. Daddy. Please get him. Oh. oh. I'm glad you're not dead. You tried to kill me. I had to put my hand over your mouth. You'd have sneezed. We'd been caught. Let's get out of this dusty hole. Get these barrels away. We can get out through the alley. Well, get a little safer out on the street. Please, will you stop looking back? There's someone following us. There's nobody following us. I tell you, there is. I know all the detectives in New York must be looking for us. Stop acting so suspicious. Turning around all the time. We gotta look like normal people. Normal? I've never been so scared in all my life. I told you not to turn around. It's the same guy. Who are you talking about? Take a look at yourself. Guy with the gray hat. He could... He could be just an ordinary guy. 
Maybe we just think he's following us. We gotta get away from him. No, look. Hold my hand. We'll fool him. Make believe we're in love. What's the matter with you? I don't get it. Act like you're crazy about me. Act it for real. Go on. What am I supposed to do? Say I'm say I'm wonderful. Say I'm the I'm the sweetest girl in the world. Go on. You're crazy. Do what I tell you. You're the sweetest girl in the world. Say it like you mean it. Hurry up. You're wonderful. I love you. I love... Put your arm around my shoulder. I think I'm doing it good. Now, walk slow. Act like we don't care where we're going. You catch up to he us. He can always catch up to us. You gotta make him think we're the wrong people he's following it. Keep talking love to me. You're wonderful. I'm crazy about you. You're wonderful, too, Lou, darling. I've waited all my life for somebody like you. I don't know what I'd do without you. Still following us? Yes, sweetheart. We gotta figure out something. Maybe we can give him the slip in the subway. Yeah. Look, I'll go in the subway first. You go in the cigar store. He'll follow you. I'll wait for you on the platform. You come down a few minutes after me. Have a nickel already. Then as soon as the train pulls in, wait till the doors are closing. Then drop your nickel in the slot. I'll hold the door open for you. Whoever's following won't be able to make it. You understand me, dear? Well, what if you arrest me first? He won't. Look, here's where I go down the subway. You go into the store. Kiss me. Okay. Darling? Don't forget to wait until the doors are closing. platform for everybody to see me. I thought you'd run out of me. Well, maybe I should have. You had? I'd give myself up? Yes, you would. Where are we going? Next station. We'll get a bus going to New Jersey. Maybe we ought to ride a little further. Getting off here. Let's beat it. What are you hanging around? Wait a minute, wait a minute. We gotta hide this money so they won't have anything on us in case we get caught. Yeah, yeah. That's a good idea. We can come back for it later, huh? Hide it right underneath the platform. Yeah, that's a good spot. There's no one in the station. Let's do it fast. Here's the money. I'll hold you while you bend over. All right. Be careful you don't drop it. Now, hold on good. I'm liable to fall. Hurry up before somebody comes along. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's hidden. Let's go. We'll be back for it in a day or so. Now put your arm around me while we go up into the street. I can't do it anymore. If you don't do it, I'm leaving you. No, don't. That's better. Sweetheart. Yeah. I guess you're the best girl for me. You just wouldn't know what to do without me, would you, darling? Don't turn around. There's nobody following us. There's a cop right behind us. He must have radioed a description of us. Cops don't follow people. They arrest them if they think they're guilty. Well, maybe he ain't sure. Maybe he's watching us first. We'll turn the corner. Without hurrying. 
You do love me, don't you? Uh, I love you more than anybody else in the world. I love you, too. You're right, we are being followed. What are we going to do? There's a factory up ahead. We'll make believe we're going in on the night shift. That ought to throw him off the track. We'll get caught in the building. Well, it's worse out here on the street. When the cop sees us going to the factory, he'll think he's made a mistake and they'll leave us alone. Well, hang on to me tight and walk slow. Is this a building? Yeah. We'll walk in just as if we belong here. He hasn't followed us in. No, it worked fine. Now we can stay here for a few minutes and then we're... It's the cop. We're caught. Let's take the elevator up. Come on. Floor, please. Uh, 16. There's no one on the 16th. It's empty, man. Uh, she means a 15th. Yeah. Hurry up, please. We're, we're very late. In a second. There's an officer coming in. Thank you for waiting. Floor, please. Just take these people wherever they're going. Yes, sir. Watch the door. Where are you two going? Uh, f- 15th floor. Who are you seeing on the 15th floor? What do you want with us? We didn't do anything. I just asked you who you're seeing on the 15th floor. We... We work up there. Let's see. 15, please. Come on, Lou. Just a second. Run, Lou. Run. Run the corner. He'll shoot at us. Hurry up. He'll kill us. Stop or I'll shoot. There's a freight elevator. So if we can make it, we can slam the door and run it ourselves. Wait a minute. Hurry up, Lou. I'm going as fast as I can. Quick. Stop. the elevator. Stop. You'll get killed. Those poor devils. Operator, get me precinct 23. Oh, hello, Lieutenant. This is Officer Malone. I want to report a double suicide. Their names are Lewis and Dorothy Dunn. Hmm. I knew they were going to do it, and I tried to stop them. I saw them in the subway station. The man was trying to jump off the platform, but the woman was holding him back. He changed his mind, and they went upstairs at... Looked like a lover's suicide pact to me. And I saw them holding each other around, kissing on the street. I followed them from the subway into this building, and when I asked them a few questions, they got frightened, got off on the 15th floor. Yeah. Well, I did. I tried to stop them, Lieutenant. They, they ran down the corridor and then threw themselves down an empty elevator shaft. Dead? There's doornails, yeah. Uh, Lieutenant, you know, the funny part of it is... They lived in the same house where that old crackpot, Jensen, committed suicide by gas a few hours ago. Hmm? What? Yeah. Yeah, that sure is an unlucky house.
<laughs> well, <laughs> that's one way of getting rid of the Duns. Making them throw themselves down the elevator shaft. Not a very pleasant way, I'll admit. But business is business. We just don't fool around with characters like that. Well, I can't help feeling sorry for them. Those poor people probably never had a lucky day in their lives. And it's your fault, Mary. You should have given them one of those good luck charms you've been talking about. You know, the medallion with the black ribbon. Yes. If the medallion didn't bring them good luck, they could always hang themselves with the ribbon. <laughs> now you stop that kind of talk. Because Lipton's sterling silver medallion on its black rayon satin ribbon is a lovely piece of jewelry. But you may never own it if you don't act now. The Lipton tea people make it easy for you. Listen, just send 25 cents and the box top from a package of Lipton's, the tea with the brisk flavor, to the Lipton tea people, box 92, New York City. The 25 cents includes the full cost of packing and postage. <laughs> And now, a word of advice. If the elevator service is bad and you're in a hurry, just throw yourself out of the window. <laughs> oh, by the way, this month's Inner Sanctum Mystery novel is The Red Right Hand by Joel Rogers. Oh, and I must tell you about next week's story. It takes place on the high sea... But it's about a man who doesn't like singing. Yes, singing seems to strike the wrong note with him. And he goes around opening up throats with a knife to find out just what makes that wrong note. <laughs> so, if you're one of those guys who sings in the shower, just cut it out before next week's killer does it for you. <laughs> now it's time to close the squeaking door until next Tuesday when Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present another Inner Sanctum Mystery directed by Hyman Brown. Good night. Pleasant dreams. Hmm? <laughs> and remember to tune in next Tuesday night for another Inner Sanctum Mystery. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Stay tuned for The Great Gildersleeve next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Harold Perry to star in The Great Gildersleeve in the episode A College Chum Visits. Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. Company, who also bring you Bing Crosby every Thursday night, present each week at this time, Harold Peary as the Great Gildersleeve, written by Leonard L. Levin.
And now let's visit our friend, the great Gildersleeve, who's just arrived home in great humor, for the local paper contains a big write-up and picture of our hero, the latest in a series they've been running entitled Men Who Have Pushed Summerfield Ahead. Number 89, Strockmorton P. Gildersleeve. Read on, Marjorie. Mr. Gildersleeve gained his college education at Princeton, where he was a member of the class of 14. He was one of Princeton's star athletes and musicians, and was selected by his classmates as student most likely to weigh 200 pounds in 10 years. <laughs> oh, yes, dear old Princeton. Incidentally, Marjorie, do you like the picture of me the newspaper printed? Oh, yes, Uncle. You look positively handsome. Handsome? Oh, no. <laughs> what do you think of it, Bertie? Just like one of them movie stars, only you got a pretty mustache and he ain't. Oh, is that so? And which star do you mean? Ronald Coleman? No. No? Are you positive? Well, definitely. Oh. Tyrone Power? No. Uh, Clark Gable? Uh, Frederick March? Uh, Robert Taylor? No. Um, Cary Grant? Victor Mature? That's it. No, I remember. Uh, who? Victor Mature? No, sir. Costello of Abbott and Costello. <laughs> now, if he only had a mustache like yours. Yeah, excuse me. I'll get it. Costello of Abbott and Costello. Hello? Hello. Is this my old palsy weldy guilty? Uh, this is Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. Who's speaking, please? Now, brace yourself for a surprise. It's Brownie. It's Brownie? I don't know any brownies. Which brown are you? Your old pal, Bob Brown, who went to college with you. I just arrived in town for a few days. I thought I'd give you a ring. Well, that was mighty nice of you. If Bob Brown is. I still don't remember him. Well, uh, we'll have to get together uh, uh, sometime. You bet you my life, old kid. Uh, how about you come right downtown and have a dinner with me? Oh, I couldn't do that tonight, but uh, hold the line a minute, will you? If, oh, Bertie, if, would it be all right for me to invite a guest out for dinner? Yes, sir. The roast is a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> Are you sure that we have enough of everything now? Oh, indubitably. Only maybe you better ask him to bring his own sugar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, hello, Brown? Say, I've got an idea. Why don't you come out and have dinner with us? Oh, no, I wouldn't dream of troubling you folks. Oh, that's quite all right. The roast will stretch. <laughs> come on out. We're at 747 Parkside Avenue. Hey, 747 Parkside. I'll be there, kiddo. By Jiminy, I can hardly wait to see you again, Rocky old sake. Uh, Toodaloo. Uh, goodbye. It's Brown. It's Bob Brown. I better get out the good minute. Incidentally, Miss Marge, is we demitassing and finger bowling tonight? <laughs> oh, yes, Bertie. <laughs> oh, Leroy, go comb your hair. We're having a guest for dinner. Jeepers, every time we have somebody for dinner, I gotta comb my hair. Who is it, Uncle Morton? Well, I can't quite remember, my boy. There were two Bobby Browns in my class at Princeton, and I don't know which one this is. Gee, when you were at Princeton, I bet you were the big noise around the campus, Unc. Uh, no, my boy, I didn't go out for cheerleader. He was more of athletic type. Yeah. He was? What did you start in, Uncle Football? Uh, no, my boy. I was associated with the water polo team. Gee, how do you play that? Well, uh, water polo is a sort of a soggy version of soccer. <laughs> uh, the team whose pole motor breaks down first is declared the loser. And what position did you play, Uncle? Well, I had a very important position. I was the assistant business manager. It's all great jumping jeeps. That must be him already. Uh, I'll answer it. Where did he phone from? The corner drugstore? 
Well, Gildy, you old coon, how's the kid? Oh, he's a... Oh, you mean me. Well, I'm just Brown Dandy. I mean, I'm Dandy Brown. <laughs> Come on in, won't you? Oh, sure, sure. Uh, hey, Cabby, just throw my luggage up on the porch. <laughs> well, Frocky, it's great to see you. Yes, isn't it? How are you, old rascal? You know you haven't changed a ton. I haven't. No, no, sir. <laughs> No, sir, Bob. Some of your pompadours slip down to your lower lip, and some of your chest has slipped down to your belt, but I'd still know you anywhere. <laughs> I wish I could say the same about you, Brownie, old fellow. Come on in, meet the family. This is Leroy, my... Well, Leroy, you're certainly the image of your old man, aren't you? <laughs> Leroy happens to be my nephew. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> and uh, this is Marjorie. How do you do, Mr. Brown? Why, guilty, you old reprobate. Congratulations. What a beautiful young wife. Marjorie is my niece. Uh, your niece? Oh, yes, of course. Well, I, I was just kidding. Don't mind me, folks. Uh, dinner, sir. Oh, yes. And Mrs. Burton, I know, your maid. Absolutely correct. Have a cigar, Mr. Brown. <laughs> Your Unky was one of our star athletes. Gee, Mr. Brown, tell us some more things that happened to you and Uncle Mort in college. Yeah, you seem to know so much that Uncle Mort has never even mentioned. Yeah, and so much that never even happened. <laughs> well, I'd love to, kiddies, but uh, I'd better get out of town and register at one of the uh, hotels. Well, now, couldn't you stay with... Uh, you expect to be here long, Brown? Oh, just a day or two, then off again like a gypsy. Gee, I'd like to travel all the time. Oh, you'd soon get tired of it, my boy. Say, I'd give my eye teeth for a comfy home like this with a big fireplace, a couple of swell kids, and a little guest room in case an old friend should show up. <laughs> um, Uncle, uh, couldn't uh, we... By the way, Brownie, uh, do you ever run into Eddie Maxwell or... Bill Simmons or Clarence Benzer? No, can't say that I have, but I uh, saw Paul Green in New York last summer. Oh, good old Paul Green. <laughs> Don't believe I remember him. <laughs> oh, he was one of the boys. Now he's in the game game. Game game? Yes, he makes puzzles. Now, there's a great guy. You know, he insisted on me coming out to his Long Island place for the weekend. <laughs> Uncle Mort, don't you think that we... Oh, yes, Green, I remember him now. A stocky fellow with sort of sleepy eyes. Yeah, that's right. And talking about sleepy eyes, eyes sleepy. <laughs> yes, but uh, now it seems there's nothing to do but toddle along to a lonely room. Gee, Uncle, can't Mr. Brown stay overnight in our guest room? <laughs> what? Oh, why, of course, our guest room. I wonder why I didn't think of it myself. <laughs> You will stay, won't you, Mr. Brown? Oh, now, please, Margie, don't call me Mr. Brown. Just call me Uncle Bob. Yeah, Uncle Bob, you mean Uncle Boob. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, this is just too grand of you, Gildy. I'll just get my luggage. I think the driver left it on the porch. Oh, no, you just sit there, Uncle Bob. I'll go get it. Uh, now we'll have time for a few more yarns about college, eh, Throcky old Socky? Huh? Oh, yes, of course, Brownie old Clowny. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, you know, when I think of those ivy-clad walls... Hey, uh, wait a minute. Hold on there, Brown. There was no ivy on the walls at Princeton. Uh, been back there lately, Gildersleeve? Uh, no, but... Uh... Uh, when I think of those ivy-clad walls, I can't help remembering the days of the Frost Rush. Uh, uh, excuse me a moment, won't you? Yes, Leroy, what is it? Would you mind helping me, Unc? What's the trouble? Can't you handle Uncle Bob's luggage by yourself? Jeepers, no. Uncle Bob brought his trunk. <laughs> 
nobody here except us chickens. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't the funniest man, Mr. Brown. <laughs> oh, brother, what a memory. <laughs> I'll be right back with a tray full of breakfast, Mr. Brown. <laughs> Mr. Gilsey, your friend show his pleasant company. Yes, pleasant and permanent. He's been here three days already. Bertie, did he give you any hint as to when he's leaving? Well, he did discuss plans for a picnic 4th of July. Now I got to fix him a nice poached egg for his breakfast. Now, George, I'd like to fix him a nice poached Mickey. Answer more. Uncle Bob up here. Uncle Bob, Leroy, Mr. Brown is not your Uncle Bob. I know, but he's such a swell guy. And he hasn't any nephews of his own, so I sort of adopted him. Yeah. Oh, Uncle Bob, this is something I can get for you. That guy gets more service around here than a cop in a kitchen. Nobody ever feeds me poached eggs in bed. Oh, good morning, Uncle Moy. Oh, uh, hello, Marjorie. At least you're not going to neglect your uncle, I see. Mm, I should say not. How's he feeling this morning? Why, I... Uh, who? <laughs> uncle Bob. Oh, so you've adopted him too, eh? Yes. He hasn't any nieces of his own, you know. That bird hasn't anything of his own but an appetite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Isn't it a shame? That's why I've arranged a nice, big, formal dinner for tonight. Formal dinner? Do you mean I've got to put on soup and fish just to listen to that fish eat his soup? <laughs> oh, now, Uncle, I've invited Judge Hooker and Rosita Callahan to meet Uncle Bob. You think he's Rosita's type? He wears pants, doesn't he? <laughs> uh, what is it, Leroy? Uncle Bob asked me to tell you that he'll be ready to leave right after breakfast. Oh, he will? Splendid. I, I've been waiting for this. Yeah, can you have the car already then? Oh, with the doors open and the motor running. Good. He wants you to take him out for a long drive in the country. Uh, I should have known. <laughs> You can stop here, Gildersleeve. Uh, this is Hickory Hills, isn't it? Yes. Uh, during the last war, Camp Hickory was located here. I remember the rifle range was right over there. Hickory was one of the biggest training camps. Well, we've got bigger plans for it this time. Yes, yes, yes we have. Oh, not you. My associates and I. Hey, you know, Gildy, I haven't discussed my reason for being in Summerfield. Oh, there was a reason. Uh, oh, yes, yes. And it's very confidential. Yes. See those hills? Yes. Well, our mining engineers report that they contain one of the richest deposits of manganese in the country. If manganese? It's not so loud. Yes, you uh, know what it is, of course. Oh, it's a very valuable mineral. It's used to toughen steel. Right. It's in great demand now for war production. You mean someone's finally found something of value in them bare hills? Gildersleeve, there's millions in them there bare hills. <laughs> millions. <laughs> Brownie, old pal. <laughs> yes, Gildy. Uh, suppose we were to snoop around and find out who owns this land. Uh, don't you think we could uh, pick it up uh, pretty cheap? No, I'm afraid the owner wants a pretty stiff price, Gildy. Oh, you know who it is. Uh, I'll say I do. Uh, look here, Brownie, little chum. After all, we were schoolmates together at Princeton. Uh, do you mind telling me the owner's name? Uh, not at all, old kid. Good. <laughs> then who is it? <laughs> it's me. <laughs> <laughs> have you so jolly again? You've been awfully grumpy the past few days. Well, that's all changed now, my dear. 
Now run along and get into your tuxedo. Uh, the guests are due in half an hour. Oh, the guests, of course. Uh, deep in my heart, I... Well, hello, Leroy, my boy. Are you waiting to see me? Yeah, Unc. I sort of stumbled into something by accident this afternoon, <clears throat> and it's got me worried. It, what is it, my boy? This. I found it up in the attic. Why, that's my old college yearbook. Say, wait till I show this to Bob Brown. He'll get a terrific kick when he reads it. No, Unc. You'll give him a terrific kick when you read it. If... Leroy, why should I kick Uncle Bob? Because he isn't Uncle Bob. He's an impostorator. He's an impersonator? What do you mean? Look, this book's got pictures of your whole class, including the two Bob Browns who graduated with you. Uh, Yes? And one of them was bald, so that couldn't be him. I remember now. Baldy Brown. He finally graduated. (laughs) Uh, But couldn't uh, Brownie here have been the other one? No, look, the other one was an Indian. (laughs) Gee... Do you think he scalped the first one? <laughs> Leroy, why couldn't you found all this out just a few hours earlier? Why, Uncle Morse? Because this humbug just took me out and showed me a reasonable facsimile of a manganese mine. See, he's a fakeroo, probably looking for a sucker. No, my boy, he isn't looking anymore. He just sold me a half interest in his manganese mine. <laughs> Uncle Mort had to go through with the dinner in honor of his old college chum, Bob Brown. Right now, it's cigars, coffee, and conversation at ten paces in the living room. Yeah, look at him go oh, after my, my cigars. Really, Mr. Gildersleeve, it was a most charming dinner, and I think that Mr. Brown is most charming, too. Oh, yes, Miss Callahan. That fellow could charm a snake out of its skin. <laughs> present company accepted, of course. Oh, he's led such an adventurous life. I understand that he was once an aviator. Uh, you're right. Sort of a fly-by-night. <laughs> However, I have hopes that the government's going to step in and ground him for the duration. <laughs> yes, then the judge turned to the prisoner and said, uh, You may be deaf now, but you'll get your hearing in the morning! <laughs> oh, for corn's sake. <laughs> Leroy, I don't blame you. I'd like to talk to you in a moment, too. Excuse us, won't you, Miss Callahan? Oh, yes, of course, Mr. Gildersleeve. Yes, Unc, what is it? Leroy, do you want that brown chap to get wise that we suspect him? Gee, no, Unc. Then put away that junior G-man fingerprinting outfit. (laughs) But but how else can I trap him? Look, I'm going to call in a mining engineer the first thing in the morning. We've got to be sure where we're stepping before we put our foot into it. Well, what do we do now? Well, uh, just keep our eyes open and pretend we're completely ignorant. And the way I let myself get swindled, I won't have to do much pretending either. <laughs> Uncle, here comes Judge Hooker. Yeah, what is that old hippo? Oh, Judge Hooker, how's things? Say, Gildersleeve, I must admit that I was completely taken by your friend Brown. Uncle Mort was taken, too. It, Leroy, <laughs> it, go away someplace and pass the after-dinner mints. Okay, Uncle. Maybe I can get some prints that way. It, prints. <laughs> I was just thinking, Gildy, how nice it is to renew old friendships. Yes, very nice indeed. You know, I'd rather have an old friend than a million dollars, wouldn't you? Well, I suppose so. Although there seems to be some rule that you can't have both of them at the same time. Oh, now, Gildy, you mustn't be so hard-bitten. I can't help it. It's because I've bitten so hard. <laughs> Judge, there's something I better tell you, and quickly. Help! Mr. Brown just left with Miss Callahan. He's taken her for a ride to the magnesia mine. You 
What? Oh, the manganese mine. Yeah, he's got her interested too. Why, George, I've got to stop before she does anything rash. Come on, Judge. Maybe you can help. Here, Luke, maybe this will help. No, Leroy, I've told you before, I don't want that fingerprint out there. Slow down, Gildersleeve. There's Rosita's car. Parked up ahead. Huh? I wish I knew what this was all about. Yes. Oh, I hope I'm not too late. You divert Brown's attention, Judge, while I talk to her. Rosita! Oh, Rosita! What? Oh, why, Mr. Gildersleeve, Judge Hooker. Hey, what are you two doing here? Uh, Rosita, I must speak to you alone. Uh, Judge, you take care of Brownie. Oh, this has been a most delightful night. Now, what do you want, little me? Well, excuse me for asking, Rosita, but why did Bob Brown bring you out here? Well, I thought I had an idea, but I was wrong. <laughs> he wanted me to buy a quarter interest in some perfectly wonderful mining property. Oh, my. And, uh, and did you? Well, it was like this. The moon was so beautiful, and he was so persuasive, and yeah. I'm so impulsive, I just couldn't say no. Oh, I never should have introduced you to him. Gildersleeve. Yes, what is it, Judge? Gildersleeve, the most wonderful thing has just happened to me. You'll never guess. I bought a quarter interest in a manganese mine. <laughs> I'm not going to beat around the bush any longer. You're a fraud and a fake, and I know it. Oh, you won't talk, eh? Well, I demand my money back. And right now, too. And if you don't... Excuse me, Mr. Gillespie, but is Mr. Brown in here? It's nobody. I'm looking for him myself. Hello. <laughs> Hello. I was just passing by, and I thought I heard someone paging me. Uh, uh, oh, yes, Brownie. Uh, there's a little matter I'd like to discuss, if you have a minute to spare. Always have a minute for my little bunkie. Uh, what is it, Mort? Uh, well, it's... Uh, excuse us for a moment, will you, Bertie? Yes, Mr. Gillespie. Uh, now, uh, what was it, pal? Well, I... Uh, Sort of been thinking over that mining deal of ours, Brownie, and uh, I've come to the conclusion that it wasn't very fair of me to uh, chip you out of a half interest for only $10,000. <laughs> so I was thinking... Well, if you're not satisfied, Gildy, I'll take the stock back. If you will? Sure, I'll give you back your check and a $500 profit. If $500 profit? If in cash? Surely. <laughs> now? Just as soon as you hand over your stock certificates. If, stay right there. Don't move. I'll be back in a flash for the cash. <laughs> oh, excuse me, Bertie. Get out of my way. <laughs> oh, uh, Bertie, you waiting to see me? Yes, sir. I drew all that money out of my building and loan like you done told me, Mr. Brown. Good. I have your stock certificate all ready for you. One thousand shares at fifty cents a share. <laughs> Here you are. Mm -hmm. Oh, what a beautiful certificate. And here's the five hundred dollars, Mr. Brown. Take good care of it now. Yes, don't worry. Now, remember, not a word of this to anyone. No. Mr. Gildersleeve would be awfully angry if he found out that I let you in on this, too. <laughs> Don't you worry, sir. My mouth is going to be a closed book. Good. Ish. Here he comes. Hide that certificate. Yes, sir. Uh, all right, Brown. Oh, Bertie, will you please excuse us again? Certainly, sir. Uh, thank you very much. Oh, you brought your certificates. Good. Now, here's your check back and $500 in cash, old man. Let me have the stock. Yes, yes, sir. Wait a minute, Brownie. Don't rush me into this thing now. 
But that's what you wanted. Yes, but if a shrewd operator like you is willing to pay me $500 profit on the deal, there must be something to this little mine after all. But Gildersleeve, we just made a bargain. We didn't shake hands on it. No, sir. You're not going to jip me out of my investment, Brownie. I wasn't born yesterday, you know. <laughs> I'm going to hold on to this stock. <laughs> Good afternoon, Marjorie, my dear. Uh, any mail or messages or uh, dividend checks for me? No, no mail, Uncle Mort. But there's been a Mr. Connolly phoning all afternoon. Oh, yes, Bill Connolly. He's the mining engineer I hired to give me a report on the manganese mine. Uh, what did he say? I don't know. Uncle Bob took the message. Oh, Uncle Bob did? Well, I'll have to go ask him. Oh, oh, wait a minute, I forgot. I've got some good news for you. Good news you have? Yes. You've been so anxious to get rid of Uncle Bob. Well, now he's left. He's left? Mm -hmm. but, but, my dear, I don't want him to go now. Are you sure he's gone for good? Oh, yes. Right after he spoke to Mr. Connolly, he phoned for a taxi, packed, and scooted right out. No, great jumping jeeps. That can mean only one thing, my dear. Hand me the phone, Marjorie. Mm -hmm. so, thank you very much. I've got to warn Judge Hooker that Brown is a phony. He's a what? I'll explain later. Judge Hooker's residence. Hello. Mr. Gil... I mean, this is Mr. Gildersleeve. Is he there? Oh, no, Mr. Gildersleeve. He's gone to the bank. Oh, the bank. Thanks. I'll try him there. But, Uncle Lord, I don't understand. I've been done brown by brown, my dear. <laughs> He's a crook. A thief. A, a confidence man. A confidence man. He never went to Princeton. Summerfield National Bank. Sheehan speaking. Oh, Mr. Sheehan. Uh, this is Mr. Gildersleeve. Is Judge Hooker there? Judge Hooker? Why, he just left. Oh, too bad. Uh, Mr. Sheehan, I want to stop a check that I wrote made out in favor of a Robert Brown. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Gildersleeve, but Brown was just in here and cashed that check. <laughs> no, man. Are you sure? Uh, yes, Judge Hooker brought him over and introduced him. He cashed a number of checks. <laughs> Is there any message in case Mr. Brown comes back? Uh, thanks just the same, Mr. Sheehan, but that bird will never come near your cage again. <laughs> possibility that there actually is in manganese in those hills. Yes, Mr. Gildersleeve, I sure hope so. Now, don't take it so hard, Bertie. After all, you didn't lose any money. Yes, I did, too. All my building and loans is gone. <laughs> and that Mr. Brown has such an honest face. Why, Bertie, how could you be so gullible? Oh, I guess it just runs in the family, Mr. Gildersleeve. <laughs> I take after you. <laughs> Well, I, I'd like to lay my hands on that crook. Now, me, I'd just like to cook for him. You'd like to cook for him, Bertie? Yes, sir. I'd just like to cook for him one day, that's all. Gildersleeve, are you home? Oh, there's Judge Hooker, bellowing like a hook bull. <laughs> I'm in here, Judge. Come on, Miss Callahan. Well, Mr. Gildersleeve, you certainly have fine friends who cheat a poor, innocent girl. What poor, innocent girl? What's her name? Oh, you. <laughs> well, I'm terribly sorry about the whole thing, Rosita. Well, you'll be a lot sorrier when I file a lawsuit against you. What? Judge Hooker, I'd like to sue him in your court. Can I make an appointment now? In his court? But, Miss Callahan, Rosita, you know I tried to stop you. I... I'm getting in, Mr. Gillespie. Uh, folks, that's probably the mining expert I hired. We might as well hear the sad news. Here's that Mr. Conley you've been waiting for. Uh, yeah. Hello, Mr. Gildersleeve. Well, Conley, is there any 
manganese in Hickory Hills. Now, Mr. Gildersleeve, it's a well-known metallurgical fact that the presence of manganese in commercial quantities in this region is a geological impossibility. Does that mean I get my $500 back? No, Bertie, it means that we're all sunk. Very well, Mr. Gildersleeve. You shall hear from my lawyers. Gildersleeve, never speak to me again. Now, wait a minute. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry if I've upset you folks. Uh, by the way, I stumbled across a curious thing up there. It might interest you. You know where the Camp Hickory rifle range used to be during the last war, Mr. Gildersleeve? Oh, yes. It's, uh, it's on my property. Well, what about it? Well, the hills in back are just chuck full of bullets. Must be two or three thousand ton of pure lead just waiting to be dug up. Yes, sir. What? Does that mean we're going to make a profit after all? Uh, sure, Judge. Come on. All we got to do is get the lead out. <laughs> <laughs> is this a profitable business venture, but you're reclaiming vital metal for our war production effort. Yes, Marjorie. And here's some more good news. In order to dig those bullets out, we've got to level off those hills, which means they'll make dandy building lots after we finished. And more profit. Gee, aren't you a regular financial gizzard? Yes. <laughs> Leroy, my boy, that's the wrong word. Oh, oh my mistake, Hunk. You're a regular financial blizzard. Yes, let it go. Let it go. Good night, folks. Composed and conducted by William Randolph. This is Jim Bannon speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company and inviting you to tune in again next week at the same time for the further adventures of The Great Gildersleeve. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Life with Luigi, followed by Our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.